Ashley, could you, um, the rheostat on these lights, it's the little, yeah, straight in, just, yep, thank you. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Jesus is on the throne. I am not. We are not. What a day. Half the worship team, you know, seems like half of them called off sick. Two or three, it seems like everybody. Esther's on vacation. No one to run the overhead. Like, that's what they were running around. I'm like, oh, Lord. So, yep. It's Easter. Good morning. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Appreciate all of you, and um, um, Phyllis already acknowledged, thank the visitors, and I appreciate you guys uh, showing up and being with us today, and uh, even our stranger guys, Alex and Corey. Anyways, good to see you guys. I've got Nick and Christine's wedding invitation on my desk, so I see you two every day. Um, I have a great Easter message, but it's uh, <laughs> uh, a little bit humbling to go through and talk about, but... Um, Easter Sunday of 1968, I gave my heart to Jesus, so it's been a while, like, it's been a walk, huh? And uh, so every Easter, I'm like, click, another year, um, still here, I've hung in there, and uh, <laughs> plenty of mistakes and plenty of, uh, plenty of things gone to the left, to the right, and back again, but um, the story of all of our lives is that he's faithful, he's so patient through those crazy seasons in our life when uh, we're losing altitude and cabin pressure and all of those things. And uh, you think there's not a way back, but there's always a way back. He is definitely the God of second chances. Um, he's patient uh, with me over all of the things I don't get right, all of the things that I don't come up to standard on. And uh, that's one of the things that I, it's a great Easter message, but it's like not easy. Um, something got revealed when I, when I see these things, I'm, at some point you go, okay, I got to deal with this. You know those things? And then I get to do it in front of all of you, but um, it's not like it's a big secret. I have had a problem believing impossible things, which is an occupational hazard, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, you can fake and bluff and limp along and do the best you can. And um, I, I came face to face with a reality that I have faith for things that I can figure out. 
that there's a medical solution to, that there's some way, and my ups and downs are based more on good reports, bad reports, yeah? So I'm feeling faith about something till we get bad numbers about something, and those can be all kinds of things, numbers, numbers, numbers. What's the deal with numbers? They, 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 can, be, they can be the beginning and end of you, huh? And uh, several of our girls have cancer, like uh, we're trying to believe, we're believing for Mackenzie, our granddaughter, and um, I found myself just holding back and hanging back, hiding in, in a, you know, that way that I've, you know, I can and, and have. And I realize when something's really beyond what I can, uh, Cindy Vincent needs a healing, like, and I remember the, still remember the day in the hospital, Cindy, when you, after you had fallen from that ceiling in the garage and, um, we're at Beaver Hospital and the helicopter's outside and coming to Life Flight or someplace more significant than that. And you looked at me at one point or as we were, when we were first there and you went, <laughs> am I gonna be okay? <clears throat> am I gonna be all right? I gave her the right answer, but man, I'm telling you, at that moment I went, oh, what if this is serious? Um, Phyllis and my family, their life experiences, if you hear a siren, it's probably a relative. <laughs> An ambulance, the fire truck, something, you know, it's usually somebody you know, and she reacts that way. Even to this day, Phyllis is very triggered, like, over anything that's the suggestion, of, because it often is a problem, major problems. People die, people... Me, my life, here in ambulance is never somebody I knew, never the drama that just was never touched our lives. I, I marry into this family, I'm like, oh my God, like good grief. The, the stories, they keep coming. I'm like, no way, like really? So there are things you read books about. And so these things have come and um, I find I realize like my ability to believe is always about finding. I mean, it's again, it's only by the grace of God we have this building because it everything I could think of, and Lord Jesus knows I tried every plan, everything I could figure out to get money to put together put together to move from rented buildings to a tent, you know. <laughs> and uh to get to the bill, it just seemed like I other pastors and leaders, they're raising money and putting up buildings. And, you know, I'm watching this go up all around me. And I'm like, how do they do that? Like, I can't seem to get to, you know, point one. And uh, all of that, of course, is by design. You'll find at some point you have to surrender yourself. And it's like, what spirit am I fighting? It's like Yahweh, that spirit, Lord God, you're, you're up against him. And uh, there are things out of his grace and mercy that he says, no, you're not going to figure this one out. I will provide. I will make a way. And when it's over, you'll have a story about me, not about you. 
And uh, that's our story about having this awesome, neat building in the middle of nowhere, is that the Lord provided like one thing after another. And um, it comes to other things, and I, I realized, and this really kind of hit me in the face over the last, you know, last year it's gotten worse and, um, or more, more apparent that I had to deal. Why am I running? Like, I've got to face this. Believing impossible things. So I had realized as I was as I was praying, and this applies to several things that I'm going through right now, I can't really talk about, but I have my the thing that comes that I don't want to look at is the Lord's supernatural provision that He will do what He said He will do. And that's too hard, so I find option B, like I always yield to this. I have some kind of self-sacrificing, some kind of some other plan and um, some other thing, some other way. There's got to be another way. And um, if you have a lie that you believe, a stronghold that sounds so much like your own voice, you don't recognize where it's coming from, then you'll follow that. Here's what I should do, but it's, it's not the Lord, and it's not even you. It's, it's a lie that's disguised as a, as a lie from the enemy. It'll take you to bad places if you follow it. It doesn't fix the problem. It makes them worse. And so I had to come to this place where I'm like, I have to face this. And especially through Diane, was one of the recent things with her cancer. You know, we'll hear about people's cancer. And, you know, what do we say the first thing? You know, we'll, we'll relate to, is this a curable cancer or is this a non-curable cancer? What, what, are, the, what are the numbers? <laughs> What's the percentage that you survived this one, right? It always goes right with, uh, right with the thing. And uh, that's all fine. That's really not the problem. The problem is our faith. And then what we put our faith in. If you put your faith in, I can believe for this if the percentage is, you know, high enough for, you know, then I, I believe. But at some point, you'll get caught in that. that. You'll get exposed. And for what it really is, is that you don't have faith. You're not believing. There's unbelief in us, in me, in us. And so a lot of this just has to do with how I relate to things. And um, Jesus said, and it was the story of the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? The rich young ruler comes to him, kind of haughty, proud, you know, and telling Jesus, you know, asking Jesus questions, the questions, the questions, you know. And uh, Jesus answered him. He says, what, what, what can I do to be saved, to be righteous, to whatever? Jesus answers him. And then he says, like, well, I've done all that. I've kept all those rules, all those laws, all those things. And Jesus gives him one more. He couldn't, he couldn't get over this last hurdle. It was simply this. Well, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And it says, uh, one of the references is Mark 10, like he, he goes away angry. He's defeated. He's whatever. Now, we avoid the hard 
answers often and we'll try to soften them. It's what the church has done for a long time. We try to soften that answer, soften that mandate, soften that thing that the Lord's saying so that we don't lose people, so they stay with us. Uh, Pastors are really guilty of this. And you're like, if I say this, I know the circumstance, you know, I know what it's going to bring. And after you've been stung enough and burned enough, you start getting careful about what you touch and what you say and what you whatever, because you're like, ah, last time I, you know, stood, stood here, wow, I, pay, I paid a price for it. And you don't realize it's happening. You're like the frog in the water as they slowly turn up the heat. And pretty soon you've calmed down your message. You've been domesticized or sized or whatever, and you're, you know, the softened version and, and you're not saying the hard, hard things anymore. And Jesus, as you know in this story, does not go chase this guy. He doesn't chase him down. Hey, hey, I, sorry, sorry, didn't mean to offend you. Let me soften that. Give most of what, give this, do this, you know, then, then you'll be good. He, he just lets it be. He lets the guy walk away. We're, we have a hard time letting people walk away, especially in ministry and churches. And... Um, the disciples are watching this because that's what their main job was, is to watch and learn. <laughs> They're disciples. <laughs> learn from the master. And Jesus looks at them because he knows they're watching, and he goes, it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. They're like, their hearts just, they're like, well, gosh, who can be saved then? Like, Gee, what's up with that? Like, and they were often frustrated with him and his answers. I was like, who, who could make it? And he, and he says this thing that becomes something that I'm standing on. He gave them permission to acknowledge something that was impossible. He didn't take that away from them. He didn't rebuke them for that. He said, what? With man or with people, it's impossible. It is impossible. I agree. You've spoken well. It's, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So if you know Diane Brothers all of her life, she's, uh, well, it seems all of her life in the church, she would quote something from Alice in Wonderland of all places, you know. And uh, is it the queen that says, I believe, six, six impossible things before lunch or something like that every day? Like, I practice believing possi- impossible things. Impossible things. Diane will quote that, and we gave, nicknamed her Alice. She's always Alice. She's walking around. She always has this faith about things. She's like, okay, Alice, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I'm not really there, kind of as a joke, you know. I'm not really there. I'm not, not where you're at, but, you know, dream on, you know, that kind of thing. And... Um, and she was actually, you know, in a great place and saying good things and believing good things. So when this came, I went, I can't keep hiding from this. I have to face this. And um, I asked the Lord, like, how do I start? How do I move into that? Like, how do I really do it? I need to do this. You can't just abracadabra, I believe, you know. You can't conjure it up. Like, it's kind of tricky stuff, huh? And I made a choice that I'm going to start 
exercising, whatever that's going to look like, believing impossible things. It starts there with believing something. And the first step to it is I have a list. I have a list of impossible things. And the Lord Jesus says, it's okay for me to make that list. I make that list because if you, these are the very things that I have to t- take from impossible and move them into the possible. So I have my impossible things. And so as is exercise often on in the mornings when Phyllis and I take communion together, we will we'll say these t- together and stand on this scripture, which is a scripture all of its own, or other words or other declarations, and repeat those to these impossible things. So here's our impossible list, and list healings, and Cindy Vincent's healing, and this healing. And instead of just being good Christians and learning to cope with stuff, uh, we need to just start acknowledging this. We're believing for impossible things. And uh, it's not very hard to come up with six if you live in my world, you know. There's always, and about the time you think you've got all your little ducks covered, you know, whatever, something else pops up. So you can't run from this. You can't fight it. You can't get caught up on it, you know. It's like the stuff keeps coming. There's always another phone call. There's a, and all of it is stuff that needs sovereign help for. And I get sometimes that like, la, 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 not another, I can't handle any more information, you know, way too much, especially the hopeless stuff. Because I'm a like, tell me your problem, I'll help you fix it. Like, I love that. I try that on my wife, it doesn't work well. But, uh, you know, I'm well-intentioned. She bladder, you know, she'll, she'll tell me something that she's struggling with. I'm like, blah, 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 you know, and it never doesn't help. So, you know, you're like, hmm. I'm just trying to help. Yeah, you're not. It's going to take more than my self-help ideas. This category of situations. We do the same thing with people that need to meet Jesus, that need to come to, to Jesus. We'll analyze, shame on us, but I'm probably not the only one, we'll analyze what we think it's possible for them to change or be redeemed. The world does this all the time. Once they see someone go too far, whatever their too far is, but I've, I've observed this, they're like, done. Even if the person repents and comes to Jesus, they're like, no, no. I still remember who they were and what they were. That's that thing. That's fine for the world. Like, of course, they're unbelieving, but it's not fine for us to do that. It's never fine for us because there's no person that's too far gone. There's no habit that's too bad. There's no addiction that's too bad. There's no uh, temperament or stronghold that's too big, no demon possession that is too big for Jesus and for his sovereign power. If you're willing to go into the impossible category and start embracing this and believing this. And so we exercise believing impossible things. Has not been my practice, by the way. So began to do that, and out of my weakness, but also, also out of obedience. And as I'm doing that, I stand on things, then I begin to imagine Cindy walking 
and dancing. Imagine Cheryl and Diane being free from cancer. I rem I imagine I imagine often that one day before my eyes, Mackenzie's Down syndrome is going to disappear off of her face completely. <clears throat> that Alan's Parkinson disease, like these are real impossible things. You can't figure this out. There's not a shot for it. And God bless the medical community, community that provides different things. And it's great when that stuff works. But we're called to believe regardless of numbers. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, one for Karen. Anybody else need a Kleenex? Sorry about that. <laughs> I saw us sitting the other day in my study. And we're at Easter, I'm like, oh, Lord, Easter message, like what? And I went, oh, it's, it's this right here, because the resurrection was impossible. And I had this funny thought. I mean, you think you've done it a thousand times. We've all read these scriptures, but I'm like, I want to look up how often Jesus told the disciples that he was going to, you know, the Easter story. How often did he tell it to them? And I, I knew this. They weren't having it. They wouldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't grasp it. And uh, even in one place, Peter takes Jesus aside and starts to school him about how he's talking. Now, that's a really funny story. He, he got a little bit of, of a sting back from Jesus on that one. Let's look at a couple of these passages. Matthew chapter 12. Verse, verse 20, or no, that's, uh, it must be 40. Jesus is dropping this to them all the time, so it doesn't come to the end when they're, all, they're shocked. They are, but they shouldn't have been, because he said it. After he died, they're like, oh, yeah. Then it comes back to them. He said this, you know. All these things start coming back to them. But while they're with him, they, they couldn't grasp it. It's not a criticism. I'm here. I know all the aftermath of the story, and I still am struggling with believing the impossible. So in 12, I believe verse 40 uh, is where I'm headed. Yes. And this is out of the Passion Translation. For just like Jonah was in the belly of the huge sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So... 
The picture's there. In verse 42, and let me just read on. It says, The people of Nineveh will also rise up on the day of judgment to accuse and condemn this generation. Um, this is in response to some things uh, the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus. So he's like, they're like, give us a sign. He goes, I'll give you a sign. It's going to be my life. Just watch. It'll be a sign to you. It'll be a sign like Jonah going into the belly of the well for three days and three, three nights. You know the story, guys. That'll be your sign. Like, of course, they didn't get that. It just offended them more. For they all repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah, yet you have refused to repent. And there is one greater than Jonah who is preaching to you today. Even the queen of Sheba will rise up on a day. We can qualify her as an unbeliever. Even she will rise up on the day of judgment to accuse and condemn this generation for its unbelief. And that's really the subject here. We must confront and deal with our unbelief. And it probably won't go away if you stay passive. It's like so many things in life. You don't really get help till you acknowledge you've got a problem. Yeah. Can't really become born again till you know uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm separated from God. I need Jesus. You can't get to the answer until you acknowledge the problem. Unbelief is a big problem. And you can't fudge your way through life. It catches up with you. Matthew chapter 20, or 16, verse 20. Matthew 16, 20, Peter took him aside to correct him privately. Um, this was, no, this, I got to back up. This is uh, in, I'm, I'm not in 20. I'm, the numbers in this, I love the Passion Translation, but the number on the verses are so small, it's hard to see, see in here. So in verse 20, he gave the disciples strict orders not to tell anyone that he was God's anointed one. Peter kind of figured out, who do you say I am? Well, you're the anointed one. You're the son of God. So he comes up with the right answer. Then how about this? Your teacher tells you, okay, you got the right answer. Now don't tell anybody that answer. Like, don't tell anybody. My father revealed that to you, Peter. So, but don't, I don't want you to tell. Don't tell until later. Strange, huh? So that had just happened and in verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to clearly reveal to his disciples that he was destined to go to Jerusalem and suffer injustice from the elders, leading, uh, leading priests and religious scholars. He also explained that he would be killed, and three days later, he be raised to life again. So the resurrection was in the story. It wasn't just that I'm going to suffer and be betrayed and get killed. They're, they're missing the amazing part of this. Like, they missed the whole thing. They didn't like the whole story, the whole scenario, the whole, this is what's going to happen. And, uh, but they were missing the miracle in it. So Peter, this is where he schools Jesus on this. He takes him aside to correct him privately. 
And he reprimanded Jesus over and over, saying to him, God forbid, Master, like, stop talking like this. We just found you. You're our hero. Like, you're, this is, this is it, man. We're going to be our own brand pretty soon. Jesus, the disciples, we're going we're gonna to start selling tickets on Ticketmaster. You know, us uh, next month on the mount, Jesus and the disciples. Like, don't, don't mess with this. We're, we're, we're going here. We're attracting a crowd. Like, the multitudes are coming. You're doing, see, you're doing all these good things. Why stop now? Have you ever had that thought? It's like, don't, don't talk like this. You're going to ruin the whole thing. These guys were still full-blown in the flesh, following Jesus, yeah, but not getting too much. And like we also can still be in the flesh, we're looking at the wrong things. We're trying to build something, and Jesus is like, no, that's not exactly what I'm doing right here. It's bigger than that. Jesus turned to Peter, said to him, get out of the way. This is where he really got stung. You know, get behind me, Satan. Ah, oh, you hate when Jesus says that to you. That's, you know, not a prophetic word. Get behind me, Satan. You know, like. So <laughs> that, would, that had to leave a mark. I know I don't want to crack my grandson. And I mean, I know I'm right. I know I'm not really being mean, maybe just a little stern, but somewhere in that, inevitably, I hurt his feelings. Then I have to go back and apologize for hurting his feelings, you know? Like, it's like that. The disciples, same way. Like, that had to go, oh. Luke chapter 9, this is a real revealing thing. There was something in here I hadn't paid that much attention to before. Luke chapter 9. Verse 28. Eight days, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Eight days later, Jesus took Peter, Jacob, and John. So there were three that he took. Climbed up, climbed a high mountain to pray. And he prayed... As he prayed, his face began to glow until it was a blinding glory streaming from him. His entire body was illuminated with radiant, a radiant glory. His brightness became so intense that it, that it made his clothing blinding white like multiple flashes of lightning. So this was like a supernatural Marvel movie, you know? Like, doo-doo-doo, stuff's going on. Lightning flashes, like, total, totally transformed right in front of their eyes. All at once, two men appeared in glorious splendor, Moses and Elijah. They spoke with Jesus. Listen to this. I hadn't, this is what I hadn't noticed. They spoke to Jesus about his soon departure from here, from this world, and the things he was destined to accomplish in, G in Jerusalem. So Moses, pre-Jesus on the planet, Moses and Elijah knew Jesus. That's, again, it's hard for us to grasp that, perhaps. But read John 1. In the very beginning, he was with the Father. He was, he was with God, and he was God. He was the living expression that was with God. He was there first. And so 
He knew these guys. They knew him. I don't know. That'll be stuff that we learn and figure out. How, how did that happen? Like, but there was this whole thing before, and they're, giving, they're talking to him about what ha- what's going to happen. We talk often about how hard it would have been for the angels to watch what's going on. Have you ever watched an injustice take place and you, or you think about having to observe an injustice and how do I control myself not to get out my gun and go, you know, not to have vengeance? Some of you haven't passed the test. You're, you know, you, yeah, you lost it. It's hard. Let somebody mess with one of your children, mothers, and you're like out of control, angry, at the school, throwing a fit, you know, like brave beyond, like, whoa. And the angels had that about Jesus, how they restrain themselves is like a miracle. And, and here is Moses and Elijah, and Peter sees this. Of course, he's still in let's build our ministry mode. We went all the way up to this mountain. We wondered what was going to happen. Whoa, supernatural. This is really going to sell tickets now. This is really going to become amazing. Peter and his companions had become very drowsy. Somehow they became drowsy. I don't get that for sure, but they did. But they became fully awake when they saw the glory and splendor of Jesus standing there and the two men with him. And as Moses and Elijah were about to return to heaven, Peter impetuously blurted out, he was a little impulsive, Master, this is amazing to see the three of you together. Why don't we stay here, set up three booths or shelters, tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Great idea, huh? We're going to sell tickets at the bottom of the mountain. Come and see. Behold, you know. While Peter was still speaking, a radiant cloud of glory formed above them and overshadowed them. As the glory cloud enveloped them and they were struck with fear, then the voice of God thundered from within the cloud, This is my my son, my beloved one. Listen carefully to all he has to say or hear him. Listen to him. When the thunderous voice faded away and the cloud disappeared, Jesus was standing there alone, Peter, Jacob, and John were speechless and awestruck. I imagine they were. But they didn't say a word to anyone about what they had seen. And so in another passage, I think in the, in the uh, account in Matthew, they were instructed again, don't talk about this. Don't tell about this. But here's the point. They were there. They heard this conversation. They knew 21 ways from Sunday that there was a plan amidst that he was leaving. Something was going to take place. It was going to happen. But interestingly enough, every time that he said, I'll be persecuted, I'll be captured, I'll be whatever, and they will kill me, they'll take it all the way to the end, kill me, and after three days, I'll resurrect. They like, and some of the accounts were like, they were devastated when he told them this. Like, stop talking like that. You're ruining everything. Then realize he was speaking of the most phenomenal, fantastic thing. 
that he was going to be resurrected and get an upgrade, everything that he was, and he has now become totally upgraded from that. But don't we like to just hang on and keep things close? What What were they fighting about? What were they fighting, period? They were fighting unbelief. They're sticking their fingers in their ears. We don't want to hear this. Can't imagine it. It doesn't fit anything. We, we don't want it to go that way. La, 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 la. Now, once these things happen, they're like, whoa. Then they could see. Then they believed. Then they They embraced. Instead of running from the impossible things, instead of hanging out, letting someone else deal with it and have faith for things, I might be the only one in the room, doubt it. This is just between you and Jesus. He's the one, really the only one that knows. He knows whether you have a believing heart or an unbelieving heart. If you don't deal with your unbelief, you will listen to the lies and come up with your own ways, and you'll create an Ishmael, and the, re- the world will have to deal with your mess the rest of whatever. We always come up with an alternative, and I've, I've been walking this out, exercising this, came up to another moment recently where I'm like, I'm going to go, Left or right, I'm going to. And at first, when I started to think of the supernatural answer, the miracle answer, the direction, I, I couldn't even, it's weird. I couldn't even go there like, oh, that's too hard. All I have to do is believe. You know, it's not like in that, there's nothing to do but stand there, look stupid maybe, let go of everything and go, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I can't earn this healing. I can't earn this situation. I can't can't do anything to perform. I can only say yes to you. Or option B, I've got a plan how to fix this problem. And to see if you're asking the question like, wait a minute, actually, Again, I can't tell you the story, but and it, the more I considered this other way to deal with the situation, the more heavy-hearted I got. And there was hardly anybody else involved. It wasn't things, people, and the, and the people that were walking through this with me were just very patient and quiet, like, just let me work through it. But the further I got into it, the more depressed I got. Like, I just felt this. I just felt faith just seeping out, like leaving me. And it got bad enough, like the Holy Spirit let this be. Like, I went, my feeling, I went, oh, 
I'm going to step aside here a second. Like, I'm just going to let this. I'm going to go over here. I got to step aside and see what the Lord will do. And it's just not time to tell you the story, but I stopped, I paused, and uh, I forget the reference right now. Even, even one of, it was Jonathan, Jonathan in the Bible. They were fighting some out, they were always fighting some of the teens, you know, the Philistines, or the, you know, or the Sites, the Ites, the Mebjebusites, the this or that, whoever they were fighting at the time. And Jonathan just looked at his armor bearer, so it's just the two of them. He goes, let's step aside here for a second, because they were totally outnumbered. And let's see what the Lord will do. And he stepped into an impossible situation, and him and his armor bearer, the Lord turned 20 of the enemy into their hands that they were able to kill, which, which brought Israel's faith up to where it needed to be so that the rest of the 600 men could go fight this fight. They were still totally outnumbered, but they, they won. Because someone went, let's step aside here to see what the Lord will do. Let's step aside to see if he won't deliver, if he won't do something right here at this moment. And I made that choice. <laughs> I'm still waiting on the answer but I know it made the right choice because my heart lifted again. And I had, it's funny, you, you feel you got to fix it. You feel you got to do something. It's not true. It's a lie. Choose, wait on the Lord, step aside for a second, pull aside and, to, and see and listen and see what he will say. And then do that. Take that action. Wait on the Lord. This is where testimonies come from. And this is how we make the Lord famous. It doesn't bless too many people at all if I sacrifice something. If I take the lower road, no one's blessed by that. But if I look at something that I believed a lie and went, no, I'm going to believe what the Lord's saying about this, that will bless everyone. And the Lord will be the hero in it. He will be the one that shows him glorious. I'd encourage you, Make your list of impossible things. You don't have to pretend like they don't exist. They do. They're there. They're not hard to come up with. We all have them. Just sit square down in front of Jesus and go, this is impossible. And he'll agree with you. It is. With you. With you. It is. And he'll laugh. But with me, everything's possible. There are no impossibles with me, only with you, only if you're in the equation. But if you step aside and have faith and wait on me and trust me and then do what I say to do, 
what my spirit leads you to do, you watch and see what the Lord will provide, what the Lord will do, who the Lord will heal, what things you will see. We must face the impossible and turn them into, with God, all things are possible. I stand here and I believe I'm not figuring out option B. I'm going to figure out, I'm going to stand here. And I'm going to do the thing that, that the Lord can take as a seed, as he can, that he can take. And he does take our prayers. Our, those decisions, that might be the most significant thing, just deciding that, just deciding I'm going to believe the Lord to supernaturally come in and, and break through. I'm going to take a few more minutes to read a story. Stories are good. I was, uh, I heard Jane Hammond, she's from Christian International. Her father was Bishop Bill Hammond, been around for years, huge, amazing, prophetic ministry. And um, she tells a story, and the teaching in this section is about making decrees. We pray about something till we know what the Lord wants to do, and then you need to do what you hear him saying. This is why we have these scriptures, you heal the sick. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that will only work for so long, and Jesus is just waiting on you. Like, Jesus heals somebody. It's like, you do it. You use my word. You find out what I want to do, a scripture, a prophetic word, whatever, and then you release it. You release the decree. So powerful. We're releasing decrees, but they're the wrong ones often. Yeah? She's got a speaking event coming up. It's going to be in da, 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 Louisiana. She lives in the panhandle of Florida. And um, Hurricane Lily, I don't know what year that came. This is, real, this is a real story. Since we live in Florida, we stay aware of the weather conditions in the Gulf of Mexico, especially during hurricane season. One year, a huge storm formed and developed into, into Hurricane Lily, which was headed directly toward the coast of Louisiana with wind speeds of 145 miles per hour. These wind speeds could leave catastrophic damage in their wake, so we were very concerned for friends of ours who lived in its path. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to travel to Louisiana on Friday of that week to minister with these friends, but I realized that would not be possible if the hurricane hit on Thursday as predicted. On Wednesday night, Larry Bazette, our friend and pastor at the church in Louisiana, called. I noticed his name on the caller ID, and I told Tom, my husband, that he must be calling to reschedule the ministry trip. I answered the call, hello, Pastor Larry, to which he replied, hello, Jane. We are all so excited about having you come minister for us this weekend. Dismayed, I said, uh, Pastor Larry, are you aware of a Category 4 hurricane is supposed to hit your coast tomorrow morning? Like, he replied, yeah, we know, but we don't worry. We took care of Hurricane Lily. So I said 
What do you mean you took care of Hurricane Lily? Well, Larry explained, remember how you came to our church last year and taught us about making decrees like you came and you taught us? Remember that? <laughs> this is great. Creed, God, put your finger in the eye of Hurricane Lily. And we decreed that when the storm comes ashore tomorrow, it will not be a Category 4 storm with wind speeds of, of 145 miles per hour, but that it will be only a Category 1 storm with wind speeds no greater than 90 miles per hour. So we took care of the storm. Looking forward to seeing you Friday. I wish I could tell you faith was in my heart, sitting in my living room with me and my father, Frank Mikowski, Frank Mikowski, uh, who was a retired meteorologist with the National Weather Service. I love watching the Weather Channel and have always been fascinated by hurricanes. I also knew that what Pastor Larry had decreed was impossible because I know stuff that this is me all over. Oh, God. Sometimes our natural knowledge interferes with our faith, you think, and can get us out of a law. God taught me a big lesson that night. The next update on the Weather Channel described the catastrophic damage Hurricane Lily could do in Louisiana and urged people to prepare. It was a terrifying storm to watch, but when then the meteorologist called attention to the eye of the storm, commenting, that since the last update, for some unexplainable reason, the eye had begun to wobble and destabilize. There was nothing in their models to indicate a weakening of the storm, but for some reason, the barometric pressure in the center of the storm, which had been dropping for 48 hours, which is what makes bad weather, had just taken a sudden turn upward. If you are not familiar with the autonomy anatomy of a hurricane, allow me to explain. When the barometric pressure in the eye of the storm made the decree, God puts your finger in the eye of Hurricane Lily, the center of uh, the center or eye of the storm shifted. Over the next several hours, the barometric pressure continued to climb, defying the scientific charts. But here is what I understood the process of the decree. Here is where I understood it. Five hours later, after continuous increase in 45 metric pressure, the wind speeds remained at the same made for 145 miles per hour. So you see, when the decree was made, it shifted something at the heart of the matter, yet on the out, because we pray, it seemed nothing had happened. Now this is huge for us, because we pray and then we're disheartened because it doesn't look like anything happened. Nothing changes, but we must stay. Sometimes we make a decree and it seems nothing changes, but we must stay in faith, knowing the power of the word. Hurricane Lily hit the Louisiana coast, but it did not come ashore as a Category 4 storm with 145-mile-hour winds. No. It came ashore when I arrived for the first time of ministry, top winds of 90 miles an hour. On Friday, when I arrived for the first time of ministry, for the time of ministry, I knew that the Caribbean had suffered great damage, as had some parts of Louisiana, but the area of the decree was clearly not hit hard. Pastor Larry showed me a copy of the newspaper with a headline that read, 
God puts his finger in the eye of, the, of Hurricane Lily. Time to believe. Time to hear from the Lord. As insane as it will always feel. As much as you want to stick your fingers in your ears when Jesus is saying what's going to happen or what to do. That you stand there like a man, like a woman, and listen. And walk in that place and do not be shaken and do not make a bigger mess by following your flesh and the lies in your mind. This is when the Lord can move and will move. He wants to. He wants to do amazing things for us. He wants to do amazing things for people. He wants to change the impossible into possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this resurrection day. The best way that we know to celebrate this is to make a choice to repent from our unbelief and just stand here naked before you and say, this has got to go. Lord, help my unbelief. I want to believe. I choose to believe. I choose to follow. I choose to obey you. I choose to take the risk of waiting on you, no matter how ridiculous I may look. With us, these things are impossible. But with you, all things are possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Our family has a group chat, and each day last week, Pam posted a different one of the I am statements that Jesus made from the book of John. And the other one is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 18, where he says, I am the living one. I was dead, but look now, I am alive forever and ever. All those statements Jesus made about about himself being God or would separate him from any other human that's ever been in history, including Buddha or Muhammad. The, the facts and the evidence of the empty tomb are what separate him in Christianity from any other religion. Those other men are still in their graves. Peter said, we didn't devise these stories about Jesus. We were eyewitnesses to his power and to his majesty. That's why 2,000 years later, that eyewitness testimony, that evidence of the empty grave is what we celebrate today, the, the, the greatest event in human history. And what better day to have communion with him? The table is prepared by the one who says, I am here forever. I was dead, but I'm alive forever and ever. He swallowed up death with his victory and we share in that victory of eternal life and that victory over sin so come now the table was prepared by the one who says I am the resurrection and the life he is risen come commune with him